It's been called an epidemic, and it's been going on for generations. Indigenous women have been disappearing in both the U.S. and Canada. Until recently, there's been little public attention paid to their stories, but the families of these missing and murdered women are demanding to be heard and counted. The world's Allison Herrera has our story. Okay, so this is 240th Street. Eventually, we're going to go down that hill. Tina Russell drives along a main road in Kent, Washington, about a half an hour south of Seattle. She's taking me to the place where her niece, Alyssa McElmore, used to live. So this is where we used to live, this house on the corner. This one with the, the Christmas lights? Mm-hmm, this peach house. Mm-hmm. Tina says um, we're not far from the last place her niece was seen before she went missing. She points out the spot where someone said they saw Alyssa talking to a man in a green truck with out-of-state plates. Back there, that was Highway 167. Um, which takes you to pretty much Seattle one way, Bellevue. It's been 10 years since Alyssa disappeared, but Tina hasn't given up trying to find her. She keeps flyers with Alyssa's picture tucked in the backseat pocket of her SUV so she can hand them out. She never stops hoping someone might have seen her. Somebody knows something. Somebody knows something. And we just need them to come forward. It can be email. It can be, you know, anonymously, whatever. Just come forward. It's 10 years. Our family is still suffering. Alyssa McElmore is a loot and one of thousands of Native American women who've gone missing or been murdered over the past few decades. It's difficult to know the exact number, but the rate of violence against Native women is disproportionately high. A few days before Alyssa disappeared, her grandmother, Barbara McElmore, called her to come home. Alyssa's mother, Gracie, was dying. Alyssa said she was on her way. In all the years her mom was sick, she might go away for like a few hours or something, but she was always there. She wouldn't just go somewhere and not show up. She might be late, but she'd be there. But she didn't come home. It was a chaotic time, and the family isn't clear on when a missing persons report was filed. Tina says she contacted the police, but Alyssa was 21 at the time, and the police said they couldn't do anything for 24 hours. The police say when a 911 call came in from Alyssa's phone pleading for help, they opened an investigation. So far, Tina says, it's yielded few clues and little action. Tina says now, anytime she hears about a death on the news, she gets a sick feeling. Every single time there's a body found on the news, there's a pause. You, 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 it's literally like you're dead for a moment because you have to wonder, is it Alyssa? I think I've called the coroner more than anybody should in a lifetime. Over the border in British Columbia, Lorelai Williams tells a similar story. They never have enough red dresses. Lorelai is driving to a performance of her dance group, Butterflies in Spirit. They wear red dresses when they perform, a symbol for missing and murdered Indigenous women. Lorelai's family in Vancouver is still looking for her aunt, Belinda Williams, who is from the Shkateen Nation. She went missing 41 years ago, two years before Lorelai was born. Lorelai says authorities didn't open a missing persons file until 2004, 
She's not sure why it took so long, but a Vancouver newspaper reported that it followed the arrest of the notorious serial killer Robert Picton. He was convicted of killing six women and is believed to have murdered dozens more, including Lorelai's cousin, Tanya Hollick, also from Shkatin Nation, who disappeared in 1996. Her DNA was found at his farm. Lorelai says Vancouver police didn't take Tanya's disappearance seriously. One officer was especially dismissive. She said horrible things. She said stuff like, um, she's just a drug addict. Nobody cares about her. And she actually told my aunt to go try, find her, go try, figure things out, and then come back and report her again. Which meant police weren't looking for her in the critical first days she went missing. It's all these systems that are against us, Indigenous women and girls, and that's why predators know that they can target us. Provincial authorities later acknowledged failures in the Picton investigation, and they launched an inquiry to determine what went wrong. And in 2016, Canada opened the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, interviewing more than 2,000 families. The final report is due in June, but Lorelai Williams and others are skeptical that much will come of it. It's so heartbreaking that, you know, this is our country, these are our lands, and our women are going missing and being murdered at a high rate on our own lands, on our own territories, like across the board in Canada, in the States. It's not just a lack of attention. Another issue on both sides of the border is a lack of data. We can't solve problems we don't check. We can't prevent violence that we don't bother to pay attention to. Anita Lucchese says it seemed like no one was keeping track of these missing and murdered women. So she figured she would. Um, I couldn't afford Wi-Fi, so I was working at a coffee shop, and I was sitting at a Panera, and I really thought someone else already had created this list. So we assume, oh, surely someone's doing something about it. I spoke with Anita in Berkeley, California, at the launch of the Sovereign Bodies Institute, which gathers data on gender and sexual violence against Indigenous people. She's the executive director there. She says the more she looked at what records were available, the more she realized how incomplete they were, especially when it came to race. Many law enforcement agencies still don't track race at all or don't include a signifier for Native American within the options. They'll just do like white, black, Hispanic, Asian. Um, And then many of the cases that do get logged into systems are uh, misclassified because the officer looked at someone and assumed or didn't enter the information in and the system defaults to white. Anita says she's filed numerous records requests with law enforcement agencies across the United States. And she's tracking missing women in Canada, too. Her database now includes more than 5,000 names of women, going back to the early 20th century, though most are from the past 20 years. She says that number is an undercount. Anita says the database is a keeper of names, but it's also data about Native women and girls collected by Native women and girls. And that in itself is powerful. She calls it data sovereignty. She says she grew tired of hearing people say they didn't know how to fix these problems. And so it becomes this excuse for people to just kind of throw their hands in the air and just say, I don't know, I don't know. Um, But that's not good enough anymore. So that's the work of the database. That's the work of Sovereign Bodies Institute um, is to say we're not going to throw our hands in the air anymore.
In the past few years, several states have passed legislation to raise awareness about missing and murdered Indigenous women. And Savannah's Act, named for Savannah LaFontaine Graywind, who was killed in North Dakota in 2017, has been reintroduced in Congress to set guidelines for law enforcement agencies investigating missing Indigenous women. In Canada, Lorelai Williams plans to travel to Ottawa next month to hear the conclusions of the national inquiry. But she's not sure how much comfort it will bring her family. My family has been broken apart. It's never been the same. As for Tina Russell, who still carries flyers with photos of her niece Alyssa, she says her family is frozen in time. We don't know what happened, so we can't heal. We can't begin to heal. We can't begin to really... Life goes on, but like I said, we're just putting a Band-Aid over something that is really a stitches job. You know, until we find Alyssa and bring her home, it's, it's going to cause generational trauma. For the world, I'm Allison Herrera. Allison's story was supported by a grant from the Solutions Journalism Network and was produced in collaboration with Al Jazeera's Fault Lines. Watch Allison's Fault Lines documentary at theworld.org.